Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Work From Your Happy Place, the podcast that equips you with the tools, know-how, and motivation to live your dreams and find your happy place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a recap of the week's guests and a preview of what's in store. To sign up, simply text the word happy place with no space to 33444. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce the host of Work From Your Happy Place, Belinda Ellsworth. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Work From Your Happy Place. We've got a great interview in store for you today. I have Todd Tresseter with me. Todd graduated from the University of California, Davis, with a BA in economics and a passion for creating successful businesses. A serial entrepreneur since childhood, Todd went on to build his own wealth as a hedge fund investment manager before retiring at 35 to teach others. Today, he provides advanced investment and retirement planning education at financialmentor.com, showing you what works, what doesn't, and why based on a depth of proven experience. Welcome, Todd. Thanks, Belinda. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. So why don't we just kick it right off here and tell everybody a little bit more about yourself and kind of your journey and then a little bit about your business today. Well, it all began when I was a small child. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm 56 now. So even like the retirement story is old news. That was 21 years ago. Um, but it really did begin as a child. I mean, I had, you know, a paper out as a kid. I'm a serial entrepreneur since childhood. Um, but I wasn't just, you know, I didn't just do a paper out like a kid would do, right? I used the paper out to buy uh, the money from it to buy a motorcycle. So then I could do even more paper routes in the same amount of time. Plus, as a kid, I got to ride a cool motorcycle all around in the morning before I even had a driver's license and it was illegal to do it. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell, really. I mean, just building business and always figuring out how to do it faster, better, more efficiently and kind of pushing the boundaries or the edge. Right. So like even the hedge fund, when I did the hedge fund business, they weren't even known as hedge funds. They didn't have the the sexy moniker of hedge fund. Back then, they were private placement partnerships, and they had a decidedly unsexy moniker because that came off the uh, the olden days of the oil and gas partnerships that had gone bad back from the 70s. 
but we were using that legal structure to form these things. And then eventually they became called hedge funds, but they were really about skill-based investing. And so again, you know, I was building something that made total obvious sense to me and it proved to be right in the fullness of time, but it was always kind of on the front edge of things. And so that's kind of my story. You know, I mean, I part one year, I built a pool supply business to make enough money to put myself through college the next year. And, you know, and then I folded it all in one summer. I built it and folded it all in one summer. <laughs> wow. So a, an interesting tidbit I think that you'll find interesting is I would have to say that it's probably like, I just smiled as soon as you said, I had a paper route. It's like of the people I have on my show, it's about 80% had paper routes, including myself, which I was one of few girls that had one. Right. And it's just, I think that's where for a lot of people it just began. And that was that first way of having a little small business, making the money and you could increase your, you know, subscribership to the route or we could, we could get new members or people that wanted to start taking the paper. And so I don't know, it was awesome. I, I loved that. And I always find it funny because it's something I think that a lot of us have in common. <laughs> yeah, I noticed I noticed uh, the entrepreneurial incentive in my daughter picked up when she worked for a local farmer at the farmer's market. Um, you know, she started working the booth and and selling the v- fruits and vegetables in the morning and calculating the numbers and seeing the profit and it just it's an entrepreneurial thing once you get on the inside of a business and see how it works, it's kind of addictive. It is. So then tell me then, you quote unquote, it's here in quotations of retiring at 35. So what was like that like leaving, you know, probably what was a pretty comfortable corporate job and deciding you were going to go out on your own? You know, I'm sure it was a little scary or there's some risk involved or what made you decide to go in the direction that you were and then take us up to speed today to financial mentor. Well, actually, let me let me get the facts straight. First of all, I retired from the hedge fund, which was an entrepreneurial venture. I was one of the partners in the hedge fund. So I had started out as an employee at a startup hedge fund and became so important in the operation of the fund through the research and a lot of the software development that I did for the firm that they made me a partner because they couldn't afford to lose me. And then when we sold the hedge fund, the liquidity event made me financially independent, plus the savings I'd accumulated up to that point. Um, so it was never a cushy corporate job. Uh, I've never, I had a cushy corporate job for all six months and I got fired. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm inherently unemployable. I am an entrepreneur at the root. And so I'm just inherently unemployable because of that. And that proved it out in that first corporate job, which I'll be glad to tell you about. So anyway, so once I sold the hedge fund, what drove me in the beginning for the hedge fund was I had a real passion for understanding investment markets. I, I wanted to be financially independent. I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I had to work my way through college. I came out with student loan debt. You know, my friends would go off to to Europe for the summer and their parents would pay for it. And I would work all summer digging steed trenches for the university to pay, make enough to get back into school. Or I built that pool supply business another summer. I mean, I was always working even during the school year. You know, and I, I, this is not some big saga, right? This is just my history, right? Right, I, I mean, right. I, but I mean, like, even when I, I was living in the fraternity, I had to, to cook meals for the fraternity in order to pay my house bills. And it's not like my parents didn't help out. It's just it cost a lot to put a kid through college, and, and that was my con- contribution, right? And so uh, I worked my way through school, was not, did not have a silver spoon. And I remember I had a kind of a defining moment. I was, I was finishing up at UCLA. And I was going through Santa Monica Park, which is this beautiful bluff on the ocean. 
And I'd had quite a few friends already graduate from college and I'd see them come back and they'd be driving their Porsches or their BMWs and they'd have their expensive apartment, their flashy clothes. But, you know, these guys were working like 14, 16 hours a day and, you know, five, six days a week. And, and I just, it didn't look that great to me. You know, they had their debt already and they had all these things going on. And I just looked at it and said, that kind of doesn't look that desirable to me. And I was riding my bike through Santa Monica Park and I thought the bums on the park had more freedom than my friends did that were graduating into cubicle nation, you know, and I just, I just couldn't resonate with it. And so I just decided as long as I was going to have to work, I would design it to result in financial freedom. And so the hedge fund business work was, I decided I had to become a master investor. And so that's why I pursued the hedge fund investing is those guys were in the skill-based investment strategy world. They weren't doing the mundane stuff. And so I got paid to learn to master investing. I literally, I got paid. I spent 12 years researching investment risk management and investment strategy systems to figure out what worked, what didn't, and why. And that was my job for 12 years. That's what made me so valuable. So anyway, once I came out of the hedge fund and was quote unquote financially independent, my passion for this stuff didn't end. That was the wake up call for me. I was still fascinated by it. I was still reading books on the subject. I was still learning about it. And on top of that, people were asking me questions, you know, like, because it was unusual, you know, how does a guy at 35 become financially independent? It was kind of weird. And I was avoiding the questions because um, people weren't even asking the right things. They they all wanted hot stock tips. This was in the 90s, right? Late right. 1990s in the roaring bull market. And so everybody wanted hot stock tips. They didn't even understand the basic questions to ask. They were thinking it was all about finding the next Microsoft in its infancy. And that's a myth. You know, there's a proper way to go about achieving financial independence. And so I was avoiding the questions. Finally, my wife just had it with me. She goes, you know, you spent your lifetime learning this stuff. You totally know it cold and it works. And it's not what everybody teaches. Why don't you just do something with it? You know, like she's just really irritated with my standoffish position. And, but I was worried because my position is kind of unconventional in how I teach this stuff. And so I, I just started building Financial Mentor, um, financialmentor.com. And uh, I was surprised because I expected I, – basically, I gave myself an out. I said if it results in flack, if I get, you know, creamed publicly – you know, because it's such controversial stuff, then then fine, I'll just fold it up and I won't do anything with it and I'll go back to hiding. And quite the opposite occurred. People really agree with open arms. People were finally like, hey, somebody's finally explaining how it works. Oh, well, that is great. Yeah. So that's where Financial Mentor came from and that's where it led up to. In between, I left out some sagas. I mean, I did some failed businesses. I made a lot of the common mistakes people make. You know, like when I came out of the hedge fund business and then I was quote unquote retired and then I realized retirement, you know, at age 35, you don't want the last great thing you ever did in your life to be at age 35. You know, right. what are you going to do? Just sit around and eat bonbons and drink Mai Tais in a hammock, right? On a tropical beach somewhere. <laughs> um, it just, that's not a fulfilling life, right? So then I started fumbling around with other businesses and I did what everybody else does. They do the logical next step, right? So like for me, it was a hedge fund fund of funds, which was a total disaster and cost me a whole bunch of money to do. I had to fumble around to find like that next step in my life, that next calling. And it's a very challenging thing to, to achieve, to, to figure out. Well, good. Well, I'm certainly glad that you did. <laughs> you seem happy. So um, tell us then a little bit about how um, the business has shaped your lifestyle. Well, the, it's actually the other way around. My lifestyle shaped the business. So it began with what lifestyle do I want to lead? And then I designed the business to achieve it. 
so I found that the ideal uh, lifestyle in terms of fulfillment for me is anywhere from about three to four months of vacation per year. Um, but it has to be punctuated by meaningful work. If it's not punctuated by meaningful work, then it, it's not satisfying. But if all I do is work all the time, that's not satisfying either. There's other things to do in life. So I found that balance is about eight, nine months of you know focused work when the kids are in school. And then three, four months of vacation when the kids are out of school is how I've arranged it. So I've actually designed it quite the opposite direction. That is fantastic that you were able to do that. And I think, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about it. And um, you certainly can do that because when you are an entrepreneur, you have your own business, you can work it however you that you want to. So I end up usually taking off December, November, December, because I just do. It's like kind of a downtime in the industry anyway. And I'm like, well, I might as well just take the two months off. And and then, of course, we do some, you know, uh, vacations outside of that. But it's worked for me because it's kind of a downtime anyway. And then I am totally present for the holidays and all that good stuff. So I do agree that you can certainly build your life and your business around sort of that lifestyle that you want to lead. So that's that's a great way to put it for sure. Yeah, you can create whatever you want. You just have to be willing to pay the price to go get it. That's right. In other words, you know, I could have easily sucked out to a uh, an investment management position. That's what would have paid the most. It would have made all the logical sense. But that's not the next step for me. It's not where I wanted to go. And what I really wanted was that next step because what my I have a high value on personal growth. And I wasn't going to grow anymore in the investment management business, whereas I still love finance. So building an educational business around it and serving others, that was like that next step of growth that forced me to develop whole new skill sets. Um, but I, I had to fumble into it. You know, I didn't I didn't just wake up one day with an epiphany. But, you know, it all starts with clarity around what do you want to create in your life and then just be willing to pay that price because it doesn't mean it's easy. You know, it, it right. can be a tremendous amount of work. Building Financial Mentor has been an extraordinary amount of work. If I'd had any idea, I probably never would have built it. You know, it's just to do do it right and do it well is a lot of effort. So you have to be committed to what you're creating. I agree wholeheartedly. And I do think I I would bet if you would go back and ask, you know, every single person who has a successful business, if they knew how much work it was going to be, they probably would not have done it. But I think that's why people are successful is they don't go in thinking, how much work is this going to be? They go in saying, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to achieve? What is the best way that I can serve other people? And then consequently, you just work at it step by step. And then I don't think it really, probably if you're look to be able to look at it hindsight, you go, man, that was a lot of work. But when you were in it, I'm sure that it didn't really feel like it was that much work all of the time. Yeah, I agree 100%. The way I explain it, um, I'll give you, I'll throw some different words on it. I'm agreeing with you 100%. I say that it starts with commitment to the outcome or the objective. And you have to be wholly committed to it. And then you just correct and adjust until you get there. And so for me, I was clear I had to build this business in my lifetime that I, I could not go to my deathbed complete without it. And then from there, there was really no choice left. It's kind of like the equivalent, you know, when the Spaniards came and settled the new land. And the story is that when they, you know, I wasn't there for it, obviously, but the story is they would land the pilgrims on the new land or the explorers. And then once they're on the beach and they're looking back at the boats and they think, wow, we did it. We accomplished it. And then they'd watch as the boats went up in flames and sank. And that was to cement the commitment to the new land, the new destination. There was no returning. They were committed. They had to settle it. They had to build the fort. They had to make it work. And so when you 
leave yourself no exit when you gain a level of clarity to where no other choice but going forward makes sense, then it doesn't matter how many setbacks you'll incur. It doesn't matter what stands between you and the objective. When that objective is the only objective that works for you, you just get back up, wipe off your dirty, you know, the wounds and the the beatings that you take, and you just keep going forward. Absolutely. So then what do you think two of your greatest skill sets are that have really helped you on this journey? No surprise here, planning and persistence. And I should probably put in there a third one is commitment, right? Right. So I, com- I commit to the goal up front and I don't do any goals unless I'm, I'm clear on my commitment because I know I'm going to pay a price to get there. And I, if I'm not willing to pay the price, I don't even start. So that's the starting point is getting clear on the commitment and the price I'm willing to pay to, to get it. And then the second step is creating a plan based on proven principles that will actually work, right? So I'll go ahead and engineer the path as best I can with the idea that no plan ever survives first encounter with the enemy, right? As soon as you implement it, you're going to learn things. You're going to figure out all the things you figured out wrong, and you're going to have to correct and adjust that plan. But you have to start with a plan because the plan engineers the path. The plan structures how you're going to go about things efficiently and in a strategic fashion to get there as quickly as possible. So anyway, so I engineer the plan. And then I start taking action on that plan with persistence until I get the goal. And then, of course, there's correct and adjust. So I guess there's actually four things. Good. So now let's talk about some of your greatest accomplishments or something that's very meaningful for you, as well as one of your greatest challenges. So why don't we start with something that has great meaning for you that you've been able to accomplish throughout this journey? Kids. I know. That's the greatest thing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds cheesy, but mine are coming out great, <laughs> you know. And I know that's not easy. It's um, not. I, How old are your children? Uh, as of this recording, they're just going to turn seventeen and fourteen. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, I, I mean, it sounds. I know you want business accomplishments, but when you, you didn't say business accomplishments, you said nope. greatest accomplishments. I'm thinking about it. I'm going. Well, I can throw in the business stuff, but really, if you look at it, you could throw out the business stuff, keep the kids, and it's probably still all worth doing. You know, whereas if I threw out the kids and did the business stuff, there's a reason I had kids. I was already successful before I had kids, and it was pretty darn empty. You know, without family, uh, it just wasn't it wasn't worth doing. Um, so anyway, that's I started a family after I was successful. Well, that is great. You want the business ones too? <laughs> you, you can give me some if you want, or we can just move right on to one of your greatest challenges. But, you know, I'm sure you're just like most people, and, I'm in, and I've read through some of your notes, but I think most entrepreneurs at their heart, at least every single one that I've interviewed that are really successful, is it's just their their constant desire to to help other people. And that is always the greatest joy that you get. And it feels like a great accomplishment every single time. Like when somebody says, thank you so much, can't even tell you what you did for my life. And I'm guessing that that is by reading some of the information that you gave me that that means a lot to you as well. Yeah, I mean, there's rarely a week that goes by that somebody doesn't write me with basically this core message. Todd, you don't know who I am. You've never heard of me. I'm just one of your free subscribers. Your information changed my life. This is what happened, and this is what you did for me. Um, yeah, that's what drives me. Um, like I said, this business is hard work. I mean, another great accomplishment business-wise, I had a website that was just a mess. And I literally, it was such a disaster. It was built on like an old platform. I'd made tons of mistakes building it. I literally had to recreate the thing from ground zero. 
because of, you know, what the learning I'd done since that time when I'd started building it. And it was such a huge task. I knew it was going to take me in excess of a year, a year to two years to do it right. And I just looked at it and I just didn't know if I was up for it. And I did do it. And that's when the letters started flowing is after I shifted everything around and really built the site into something formidable and worthwhile. Um, so that would go down as another professional accomplishment. And since then, the business has just continually grown. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, that is great. So then share with us then maybe one of your greatest challenges that you faced and then how you worked through that. Well, that was one of the challenges was um, that I think another challenge you already touched on where, you know, you do this because you want to serve, right? Right. And so you get you get caught up in growing the business and serving people, but then you want to be true to your family too. You want to serve your family, but then time spent on the business is time away from the family and there's only so many hours in a day. And that's a constant challenge. You know, the love for the business, the love for the entrepreneurship, the love for your family. Um, it's just, it's a constant challenge, you know, cause the, 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 the success of the business also serves the family, you know? So like, where do you draw the line? What is, what is one serving the other and, and how does it, go too far one direction. It's, it's a constant challenge. I couldn't agree more. It's the one I face all the time. I'm getting ready to leave for Australia for a three-week speaking tour. And as exciting as that is, um, and I know it's going to be fun, and I'm going to get to see a good part of the whole country, being away from my family for three weeks is already making me get... I don't know, just a little bit sad and a little bit anxiety. And I'm like, doggone it. And I've taken them with me the other two times I've gone to Australia. But for my husband and my daughter, it's the end of the school year and it just did not work out. And so, you know, I know I'm going to impact a lot of people over there. I know I'm going to have fun. But at that same time, I hate being away from them for that time. So I totally get it. And that is a constant, constant struggle on how to do that balance. I think that's the ultimate dance that we all do with really successful businesses. Yeah, yeah. And you get no no sympathy from your family when you write back <laughs> and you tell them how hard you're working, right? That's They're right. Like, <laughs> I was I was at a business conference and um because they know I do fun stuff when I travel too, right? Even on business. So like was this one business conference I did surf lessons, right? And so, like, I come home hoarse because, you know, I'd been networking and doing all this stuff. And I go and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you're surfing, too. Or like, <laughs> I was in Orlando for a recent mastermind meeting with a bunch of high level people in my industry. And uh, and we, we decided to do a day at Disney World. And uh, and so we're at Disney World and I got stung by like either a wasp or a bee. And it was amazing because the sting, you could actually see it sticking out of my finger. Right. Oh. And so I, I had a guy take a picture. My my oldest daughter's deathly afraid of bee stings, right? So I thought it'd be fun. So he takes a picture of my finger with my face in the background so she could tell it was me. And I put the little story about how it felt like a tickle on the back of my neck and I went to brush it. I guess it wasn't the strap on my on my jacket after all, you know, it was my and obviously it was a bee sting. And got zero sympathy, you know, like everybody wrote back with sarcastic comments like, Oh, poor you got stung at Disney World, you know. <laughs> right. So they, they have no sympathy. So then I think we've covered this, but any additional little things you might want to add, but what does working from your happy place mean to you? You know, it's it's the balance of work with lifestyle. I have a passion for outdoor recreation, backpacking, cycling, running, skiing, you name it. I'm that's 
I mean, that's the stuff I really deeply enjoy, love to do. So being able to balance that and do them all as I go through the years, but still have a fulfilling career, that's, that's working from the happy place, building something that means something to me that is fulfilling my destiny life. I'm becoming the best version of Todd I can be through my work, but yet I'm not sacrificing life on the journey. I'm actually still doing the things I love in terms of personal life. Um, that's working from my happy place. And that's the constant challenge finding that. Cause I think, I think the idea of balance is an idea that's thrown around a lot. I think it's really a myth. I do too. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever achieved balance. I think I go from, God, this sounds wrong. It's close. I go from obsession to obsession. I go from like punching it out in work and then taking a, a long backpacking trip like I did the John Muir Trail, which is 250 miles from the base C70 to the peak of Mount Whitney. You know, and then I'll work real hard. But but during that trip, I, I never once was on the internet, right? Because there's no internet access back there. So I don't, I don't know. It's not, it's not balanced. Like you can't say that, but yet it works. It's like kind of going all one way and then all another and back and forth and trying to fit it all in. I, I, that's about as good as I can throw it. The way I try to describe it is that you just need to be present where you are. And that sounds like that's what you're describing. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. Actually, I really like the way you said that because that my family thinks I'm almost freakishly that way where like, I just I won't even look. I, for example, uh, we did a, a, a two month tour through Spain. We did the Camino de Santiago, which is a 500 mile hike across Spain, and they were amazed. Like I just wouldn't check email all day, you know. Like I wouldn't look at anything. I didn't check market quotes, email any of the stuff I usually do for work. They're like, how do you do that? Like how do you just shut it off, you know? And it's like, well, I'm here. We're on this trip. Yep. I have found that what that's what works for me. And I, I'm the same way. I try not to check. You know, I can be gone for four or five days and maybe check my email a couple of times. And I'll save it for late at night before I go to bed and just make sure uh -huh. is there some kind of a fire I really might need to attend to. Nope, otherwise I don't. And, you know, my I have a staff. And so they're told, just don't call me unless it's something really, really, really important. And so then I know if they call then yeah, I probably need to take this. But otherwise, I'm present. That's what I always say to people like moms that try to say, you know, especially I do a lot and teach a lot in direct sales. So a lot of those people do that on a part-time basis. And they're always trying to balance it. I'm like, you know, if you're saying you're taking this day off to be with your kids, then be with your kids 100%. You know, play games with them. Don't try to be sitting them down and trying to play and go do phone calls and make sales calls and then come back. I go, just be present with your kids on the days you want to be present. And then the days you work, do the work. And if you have to get a sitter for a few hours, get a sitter for a few hours. But it's like, they're always, they're always guilty. They're always feeling guilty, no matter which space that they're in. When I'm working, I'm feeling guilty. I should be with my kids. When I'm playing, when I'm with my kids, I probably should be doing some work. And so it's, it's just learn to be present and do a hundred percent of whatever it is you're doing. And it all ends up working out in the end. Yeah, make no mistake about it. There's still guilt anyway, right? Cause right you, on. You, you, you always still feel like, oh, I could have been a better parent or I could have done better at the business or I could have done this better. But it's always a trade-off, right? The yep. more you put over here, the less you can put over here. You can't be both at one time. And so just be one at any one time and try your best to, to strike that ephemeral balance, whatever the heck that word is. But yeah, I, I do it very similar to you. The only difference is I'm known for being an early morning person. 
So I would generally get up early in the morning before anybody else is up and go through mass delete, you know, yep. and like you, I, like you, I have an assistant. So she would head off any emergencies or manage anything. And I would just go through mass delete. Like if it wasn't absolutely big. Oh, and I had an autoresponder on that said, basically, I'm out of contact for two months. So don't expect a response. If you really want to get hold of me right back in two months. And I had the phone message on the same thing. It just said, I'm gone for two months. So don't expect me to return your call because I'm not gonna, I'm not even going to check messages. And so, you know, I just basically had carte blanche to delete everything. And I did. Well, that is great. And that's funny because therein lies the difference of being a night person or a morning person. And it's okay to recognize that, like, because I'm better at doing that stuff at night and just being really clear and and deleting it. And I even make my best list for the next day what I want to do at night, where other people get up really early, make their list for the day. They take care of all that stuff in the morning. And a lot of people work out in the morning. And like when I finish this podcast with you, that's when I'm going to go do my workout. Like I have better workouts at night. And so you just need to learn that about yourself too, I think, is, you know, when am I the most productive? When do I when do I perform the absolute best? And then rolling with that, quit fighting against that too. I hear people saying, oh my gosh, I, you know, I've been getting up earlier so I can work out. I'm like, well, why don't you work out at five? Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, I have great workouts at five o'clock or six o'clock. So I, I don't know why you want to kill yourself to do that. But um, it's so funny because I think people sort of, I, I almost feel like we're the way we're designed you know, and then you try to go against that. It's almost like going against a river flow. So you might as well just roll with it. Um, yeah. What's works for you. I agree. There's a watchword that's coming through as we're talking, which is efficiency, finding out what's efficient for you and how you produce best. Right. So what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs then? Just do it. <laughs> I mean, I know it's Nike slogan that there's no substitute for just getting out and doing it, learning and getting your bumps and bruises and, and improving with every step and constantly growing and constantly learning. But nothing gets done by intellectualizing things, right? right? That was yep. when I was coaching entrepreneurs, that was one of the things that always blew people away is I had them in action from the very first coaching call. And they were always surprised by that. They were like, because I was doing financial coaching, so there's a fair amount of background information, but it always tied back. Business is one of the financial assets, right? Business entrepreneurship, real mm -hmm. estate, paper assets. So there's three asset classes. So I nearly always had people in action from first call. And they're, they're surprised. And I'd say, well, notice that it's a carefully risk-managed action. We're not doing anything crazy or stupid here. And we can intellectualize it all we want. But what will happen is when you take action, you'll immediately run into obstacles, and those obstacles will tell you where your personal constraints are that are holding you back from success. And you can't intellectualize the solution. You can't intellectualize the problem. You have to discover it through action. And that's the, that's the most efficient path to results is action. And then you have to correct and adjust. You have to be very aware as you take action, one, to manage risk so you don't blow it and get yourself in trouble when you take action, and two, to be aware of what's holding you back from succeeding. What are the obstacles you're running into, both personal and professional and resource obstacles and whatever else that you can then figure out leverage points to get overcome? So anyway, just do it. Get in action. Figure out a plan. Start taking action on it. Pay attention. Correct and adjust and just move forward. Well, that's great. So in closing, what are some new and exciting things that you're working on that you'd like our listeners to know about? And then again, where can they find you? 
I'm putting Todd in a box. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I've been coaching for, you know, I have, I have all my financial background in figuring out how I built wealth. And then I was coaching clients now for what, about 18 years as of we, as we record this, um, in how they built wealth. And I finally perfected it down to a seven step system. And I, I can't even say I did it. They showed me the system through their actions you know, there was a repeated pattern in how people work through the process to achieve financial independence. And so I boiled it down into a seven-step system, and I'm putting all that knowledge into courses. So there's seven separate, seven separate courses. And there's one course that's publicly available now. It's the step three or the third step in the course, which is how to design your wealth plan, which is one of the things we talked about here today. Um, and it's very different from what people think of as a wealth plan. Most people think it's like something your financial advisor does for you, you know, right. where they put, they put your risk profile and your asset allocation and it comes up with these pretty pie charts and everything. This is totally different. This is literally how you design your life based on your resources, your skills, your abilities. You take all that, you, you reverse engineer it back into a plan that will result in achieving your financial goals within the desired amount of time. And it uses all three asset classes. It uses business, real estate, and paper assets. So it's a completely different approach. Um, it's I'm really happy with the results because I, w I put it off for years. I mean, I coached people for 18 years, and I kept putting off building these courses. And uh, I was afraid that it could never duplicate the coaching. And I've been shocked because it's actually better than my coaching. Um, oh. The result, yeah, the results that people are producing. I don't know if you know Belinda, but there's something like an eight or twelve percent completion rate on online courses. It's kind of this unknown little secret, dirty little secret in the online course world. I'm running an eighty percent completion rate right now. Oh man, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's just it's blowing my mind. So you, you know, you ask what's new and exciting. This is really exciting me. So I, it's not it's not done yet, but it's the one that's available publicly. I've got it at a founder's rate right now as we record this. Um, there's like 140 people in there right now and it's just really going well. So that's got me excited. I'm excited to build the other courses and get Todd in a box and turn this into a business system. Well, that is great. So then where's your website again? Financialmentor.com. That's the hub of everything I build and you can find it under the products page. Uh, it's the step three wealth building course under the products uh, page at financialmentor.com. Okay, perfect. Well, Todd, thanks so much for spending this time with me. And I know our listeners are going to benefit greatly. And I hope that they'll go to your website and check it out. I know I'm going to. All right. Thanks. It was good talking to you, Belinda. It was fun to explore entrepreneurial ideas. Yes, it sure was. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for joining us at Work From Your Happy Place. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. For a free gift on finding your own happy place, please visit workfromyourhappyplace.com and click on the free audio button. Thanks again for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 